Hello there. This is Benny. And this is Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The podcast where I watch Doctor Who and I tell you about it. Hey, Kyle. How are you doing, Benny? I am still super hot, but I heard that you got to move to a cooler room for this episode. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's only pretty warm in here instead of really hot. (laughs) Yeah. Which is a good segue to our uh, our cliff dangler from the last episode, <laughs> where our characters were freezing to death. Well, so I was going to mention just, you know, in terms of stuff that we sometimes talk about that's unrelated to anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. We do sometimes. Often. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just wanted to say that, like, you know, people sometimes joke on Twitter and online, whatever, about, you know, bad things that happened that they didn't have on their 2020 bingo card. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to say that something that was not on my 2020 bingo card was my cat losing its leg. But that happened. Yeah. So, yeah, that was... It's been a, an interesting few weeks here. My This is the same cat that you have heard on this very podcast on occasion. Yeah, she's had a few guest appearances. And uh, I will say that, you know, she is doing just fine. She is a great little hop-along three-legged kitty. But, yeah, that was not on my 2020 bingo card. Yeah, it really sucks, and and I know that you guys have been like putting a lot of time and and attention and love into caring for her, um, yeah, which on fact. top of everything else that's going on right now is <laughs> is a lot to deal with. I think this episode and the previous episode probably would have been recorded like at least a week or two ago if it hadn't been for that, but yeah, but. You listeners will not know because we are still sticking with our two-week release schedule. Yeah, yeah. that's how much Kyle loves you. <laughs> Is he'll he'll stick to it. Um, that said, you know, I I'll warn you right now, um, our beloved listeners, that if if anything does ever happen, uh, you know, real life at some point, I feel like it's inevitable at some point. Real life is going to cause us to to miss our two-week schedule, um, even though we do have a bit of a, a buffer built in. But something eventually is going to happen. We we love you. We apologize ahead of time. But real life sometimes does take precedence. Indeed. So, Although yeah. we will try to avoid it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you'll all join me in, in sending good vibes um, toward our our sometime guest commentator <laughs> um, Matilda and hope that she continues to do well and and adjusts to, to her new situation and, so the good, li- thing. Good, good vibes also to your your beloved um, podcast host Kyle who you know, <laughs> is, is providing care and to his partner as well thank you other thing that I wanted to mention right off the bat before we get too far into discussing this episode is 
that this episode does have some super shitty behavior in it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This episode has a character that intends to sexually assault another character. They are stopped before the assault happens, but the intent is clear. And I wanted to say that on this podcast, we don't intend to make light of sexual assault, but we do intend to make light of the rest of the episode. So here we go. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. Thanks for the warning. I think it's good to to include those. Um, Yeah. Doctor Who's a kid's show. I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) Um, But I guess we'll see what happens in the... uh, in the episode. So this is season one, episode 24, The Snows of Terror. And Benny, I think you were just about to remind us of our cliff dangler. Yep, yeah. Uh, we're on a quest to recover the key circuits. Um, and uh, Ian and Barbara just got one. Um, so now they're up to a total of two. No, three, because they got one from the, the quest giver as well. So they're at three out of five. Um, and uh, they just teleported to a very cold place, and now they're worried about freezing to death. Right. I'm not actually sure if they took the key from the quest giver or if they just left it there since, like, that's the final location. Oh, but yeah. But in either case, they're either at 3 out of 5 or at 2 out of 4. Okay, well, um, we, we did see the quest giver get... Vorded at the end there, so yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> maybe they're not doing quite as well as I thought they were. <laughs> I guess we'll see when we get there. So currently, Ian and Barbara are both in the process of freezing to death. I think as we left the last episode, it was mostly just Barbara, but they're both freezing to death now. They have both fall into the ground and are kind of acting as if they're going to fall asleep. So I know we said this for the uh, the Marco Polo serial as well, but I think it bears retreading that we ship them. We know they both like each other a whole, whole lot, um, <laughs> but neither one has really moved on those feelings yet, even though there have been a couple of times where they've talked about like how much they care about each other, how much they mean to each other. But now that they're freezing to death, seems like a pretty good time. It does. If only they had a, a sleeping bag to warm each other up in. Yes. And so they're both kind of going to sleep, which I understand is part of the process of freezing to death. Doctor Who is an educational show. Yep. kids when you're freezing to death you might expect to fall asleep (laughs) don't do this it's a bad idea yes Barbara does briefly wake up long enough to see a big man covered in furs standing over them and 
but you know she kind of like falls back over falls back asleep again and he this big man standing over them takes the key micro circuit from the screaming jungle out of Barbara's hand dang it she wakes up later on in Mountain Dude's cabin where Ian is also asleep and it turns out Mountain Dude, this big guy, big fur man, has, you know, brought them back to his cabin, and he takes her hand in his, and he starts lightly stroking it to warm it back up, because it's been frostbitten. Uh, you know, she wants to, like, stick it by the fire, but, you know, he warns her, like, you know, you can't warm, can't warm it up too quickly, you need to do it slowly. Hmm. Doctor Who, it's an educational show. <laughs> also, I think that's true. Like, I, I think, think it that, is, uh, yeah. When, when we used to play in the snow, um, yeah, Kyle and I, both at various times growing up, were living in Utah, where it snows a lot, and I also lived in Pennsylvania, where it snows a lot, and I, I remember our, my parents telling me, um, and, and my sibs, my sibs, not to, you know, when we came in from the snow, not to put our hands under hot water, because then we'll get frostbite. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely want to do it slowly. Out of nowhere, this mountain dude asks Barbara, You afraid of me? Which is, you know, not necessarily a question you want to hear. Yeah, no, there's no good answer to that. Yeah. Barbara says when, that when she's When there's a stranger not. that, yeah, which I, I guess is kind of the only thing you can say in that situation, but yeah. still. She, yeah, she says that she's not, and he replies, Last year I broke the back of a wolf with my bare hands. I'm Vesa. Most men fear me, so I have few visitors. <laughs> Whoa, it's a pretty intense introduction. Uh-huh. Yeah, how are you doing? Oh, well, you know, broke a back of a wolf last year, so I'm all good. And, and yet I still feel the need to mention that uh, I don't get a lot of visitors. <laughs> <laughs> he goes off to start preparing warm drinks for Barbara and Ian. And Barbara goes and wakes Ian up and starts stroking Ian's frostbitten hands to warm them up slowly. Vassar comes back. He's got bowls of broth for each of them, basically. And he tells them that he found them while he was resetting his traps. So they thank him for saving them, saying that, you know, they surely would have frozen to death if he hadn't. And he's like, Ah, the wolves have eaten you first. <laughs> it's reassuring. Uh-huh. As the conversation continues it becomes clear that Vassar had Altos's help carrying Ian and, and Barbara back to the hut. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Vassar refers to a ranting and raving madman who helped him, who was searching for a couple of girls. So, of course, Ian and Barbara are like, yo, Susan and Sabitha. You know, they ask where this... Where you know where Altos went after they rescued Ian and Barbara, and apparently he went back to the village, which is a few miles away. So Ian wants to head out looking for Altos because 
Vassar had said that Altos said he would be back, but like it's starting to get dark, so it's going to be dangerous out. So Ian wants to go looking for Altos and Susan and Sabitha, but he needs warmer clothes. He asks Vassar if he would like lend him some furs, and Vassar's like, dude, I'm a fucking fur trader. I'm not just going to like lend you my furs. You know, how am I supposed to get them back when the wolves eat you? Well, go get the wolves and then you'll have double the furs. Huh? <laughs> huh? So Ian ends up trading. He actually gives Vassar his travel dial in exchange for some furs. Huh. And Vassar like tells him. Pretty interesting deal. Yeah. So, you know, then Vassar tells him the way to the village, and Ian heads out. And as soon as Ian leaves, Vassar bolts the door locked behind him. And he turns back to Barbara, and he makes a super creepy reference to the two of them being alone. And Barbara's just like, Ian will be back. And Vassar just, you know, says some other creepy and shitty thing. Mm. And we see Ian kind of going through the snow, picking his way towards where Vassar told him the village was. And this gets interspersed with a couple clips of stock footage of wolves howling. Ian apparently, like, hears the audio of these stock footage clips and gets concerned. And he actually ends up finding Altos, who is either asleep or unconscious, in the snow with his hands tied together. Uh, hmm. Meanwhile, back at Vassar's cabin, Vassar and Barbara can also hear the wolves. And Vassar just can't resist being creepy and shitty, so he says, Ah, you're safe here. That door will keep anything out. Or in. Wow. Yeah. He starts clearing away their dinner dishes, and Barbara kind of starts poking around the cabin a little bit, and she opens a drawer... And inside this drawer, she finds not just Ian's travel dial, but also three others, and also Sabitha's necklace with the keys. Mm. And she's like, what the fuck? Why do you have this shit? And he's like, oh, I bartered for that shit fair and square. Huh. And, like, she basically ends up saying, you know, like, if it were just the travel dials, maybe I would believe you, but you know, there's no way Sabitha would have given up the necklace with the keys on it. Yeah, for sure. So, but you know, his story is that he found Sabitha and Susan in one of the caves that he sets traps in, and he traded them food and flint for these items. Barbara's like, so they're alive. And he's like, uh, they were yesterday. Yeah, not loving this guy. Yeah. Um, 
So in your in your opinion, could Barbara just take the dials right now, you know, shove most of them in her pockets, take the keys, and then take the one, you know, take one of the dials and just teleport out of there, just GTFO? Um, it's a pretty small cabin, so I think it would be risky, but... Like by the time she got it on, he he would he'd be able to like just grab her or something. Yeah. And then I suppose the other concern would be that if she has all the travel dials, and she's gone, then everyone else is now stuck here. Yeah, that's true. Dang, not a lot of good options here. Yeah. So Vassar ends up telling her that Altos had forced Vassar to help look for the girls again today and that's when they found Barbara and Ian and saved the two of them. This is when Barbara is you know doesn't really believe him and she says well, they might have given her the wrist bracelets but the keys and the chain Sabitha would never have parted with them. She asks Vassar if he killed them she just like straight up asks Mm-hmm. And he says, <laughs> You don't kill anybody in this country. The cold and the wolves do that. <laughs> so basically, leaving someone out in the cold um, is the same as killing them. Yeah, pretty much. Cool. Barbara makes some reference to when Ian gets back, and Vassar says, what makes you think he will get back? He doesn't know what's in that bag I gave him. So he he had given Ian like furs and bag and whatnot. Hmm. Oh, is it full of like wolf meat or something? <laughs> wolf snacks. Uh, well, we don't wolf get to treats. know quite yet, but we do. We do cut straight from this line to Ian, who is now like rubbing Altos's legs trying to get the circulation going again. Mm-hmm. Altos is basically still in his like relatively skimpy Romanesque costume from the Velvet Web. Yeah, that would not be uh, the right choice there. Yeah. So Altos tells Ian about how Vassar tied him up and... You know, of course, Ian's been out of the cabin this whole time, so he doesn't necessarily know how untrustworthy Vassar is yet until Altos tells him about how Vassar tied him up. And Ian, at this point, ends up discovering that, sure enough, his bag is full of raw meat to attract the wolves. Uh-huh, Alrighty. <laughs> Yep. Altos is like, Vassal was making certain that you wouldn't get back. And Ian says, Well, he's got a surprise coming to him, hasn't he? And he tosses the bag away. Good call. Back at the cabin, we start getting into the more shitty parts of the episode as Vassar approaches Barbara and she grabs a poker from the fireplace to defend herself. Good on you, Barbara. Yeah. 
soon as she grabs the poker, he backs off, deciding that he can wait a little while since there's no one coming to help her, as far as he knows. Of course, we we cut back and forth between this and Ian and Altos, who are rushing back to the cabin, you know, once they realize that Barbara is alone with Vassar and how dangerous that is. So they're rushing back. They can see the cabin a little ways off. Altos is still struggling to run because of his frostbitten legs. They can also hear the wolves approaching. And in the cabin, Vassar decides not to wait any longer, and he rushes Barbara. So she, like, whacks him with the poker. Nice. Which, you know, he kind of grabs and knocks aside, and she grabs a stool and starts defending herself with the stool. But Vassar ends up knocking her onto the bed. But before he can do anything else, he's distracted by a knock on the door, which, of course, he wasn't expecting at all. So he turns, and, like, in that moment of distraction, Barbara gets up off the bed and rushes over to the door. Vassar grabs her to try to stop her, but she bites his hand. Cool. And then she unlocks the door and lets Ian and Altos back into the cabin. And oh, that sounds that sounds pretty harrowing for yeah. uh, something that's ostensibly a kids' show. Yeah, it definitely was. And you know, I guess yeah, like technically this is a kids' show, but I think you know there are also like all the all the old stereotypes of you know '60s British kids like watching it you know, as they hide behind the couch or, you know, like peeking through their hands that are covering their eyes and stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's definitely... supposed to be for like scary aliens or something, but like, I, I feel like there's a difference between, you know, a good sci-fi scare and something that's like close to home. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. So Ian and Altos rush in Altos is basically like, fuck you, Vassar, and is about to just attack him. But Ian stops Altos because they need Vassar to show them where Susan and Sabitha's cave is. They could they could beat him up a little. Yeah. Yeah, they probably should have a little bit. Hello, this is Dalek Kyle. I hope you are enjoying this podcast. If so, please leave a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. If you are not enjoying it, you can leave a five-star review anyway to give Benny and I a false sense of security. Thank you for listening. So we, we the viewers, cut to Susan and Sabitha in a cave. This is the first we've seen of them this whole episode. And they are trying and failing to make a fire in this cave. I guess Susan wasn't paying attention back in the one with the cave people. Well, there's there's no skulls. Yeah. And put on torches, so And you know, Ian is the fire maker. That's true. <laughs> you put that on his character sheet. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, also, I, I, I wish I was more familiar with that uh, short story. I think it's a Jack London short story about, like, to build a fire where you're too cold to make a fire. You know, you're trying oh, yeah. to warm yourself up, so you need to make a fire, but you're too cold, so you can't make a fire. I think I read that in, like, seventh grade or something. I think, yeah, it sounds, sounds like the... I think we all read it in, uh, you know, grade school or middle <laughs> school or somewhere around there. Uh-huh. So they, Susan and Sabitha, fail to make a fire, and they discuss leaving the cave, but Sabitha is rightly concerned that they're both underdressed and would freeze to death, like, within an hour outside. And Susan's basically like, you know, I mean, same thing here. If we can't get a fire going, we're also going to freeze to death in the cave. So we might as well just leave. If we still had that raw meat, if we could, uh, you know, cook a cook a dish, if we had, a, if we did have a fire going, uh-huh. then we could add some peppers to it, which would give us cold resistance long enough to make it somewhere else. <laughs> that is a Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild reference for you, Kyle, because I've been playing that game <laughs> these past couple of weeks. <laughs> I need to get back into that. I haven't played it in a little while. I got the first uh, Divine Beast, but then I kind of oh. stopped out. Oh, you're, you're way ahead of me then. You, you know all about those recipes. <laughs> so Sabitha agrees they might as well leave the cave. Only problem is that neither one of them are sure which tunnel they came in from, and thus, you know, which tunnel they need to leave through. Mm-hmm. So they end up just picking one, because, you know, what else can you do? Yeah, sometimes you gotta. They follow this tunnel for a while, but it turns out it's a dead end, so they head back. Meanwhile, Vassar... Ian, How can they see in these tunnels? Or is that not really established? Oh, is that was never like TV really magic? addressed. Yeah, all right. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's just TV lighting. Um, there might there might have been torches on the wall. I don't think... But then they'd have fire. Were there. Yeah, that's true. There, yeah, there must not have been. So... Vassar, Ian, Barbara, and Altos all arrive in, like, sort of the anteroom of Susan and Sabitha's cave. Of course, Susan and Sabitha aren't there at the moment, but the ash in the fire pit is still warm. So I guess they previously had fire. That was kind of confusing to me. Hmm. But, you know... They figure the girls must have gone deeper into the tunnels. And Ian basically tells Vassar to lead the way. Vassar doesn't want to. He is, like, taking a page from the Warlord Tagana's playbook and claims that there are demons in the caves. <laughs> but Ian, you know, Ian knows how to deal with people claiming demons in caves. He just grabs Vassar and he's like, I am not asking you. I'm telling you. Now move. Nice. Yeah. Susan and Sabitha, meanwhile, are still making their way through the tunnels. They have realized that 
they're just going like deeper and deeper into the mountain. But Sabitha is like, If we keep going, we must find a way out. But I don't think that logic really holds. Like, what if it's all just dead ends everywhere? Like, I mean, they have to get in there somehow, right? Yeah. I suppose, I suppose eventually they would just make their way back to the same room they came in through. But, yeah, I don't know. Vassar had told Altos and Barbara and Ian that, like, the anteroom cave that they were in was basically the only entrance and exit to the tunnel network. So... Yeah, so all they'd have to do is go back to the anteroom, and then now they'd know the way out. Right, yeah, just but take they don't the, know that. the other tunnel now. What Susan and Sabitha do find is a rope bridge across a chasm. Nice. A yeah. classic. They're smart about it, though, and they cross one person at a time with the other person kind of, like, holding the bridge in place, like, stabilizing it for each other as they cross. Cool. Sabitha did something I th- I thought was pretty funny, though. She waited until Susan was, like, halfway across, like, right in the middle of the bridge, to shout, Don't look down! Which, hmm. like, startles Susan and, like, causes her to, like, grip the rope and steady herself for a second. And then, of course, you inevitably look down. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Sabitha's just kind of, like, trolling Susan a little bit on the rope bridge. Oh, was she, was she doing it, like, on purpose? Uh, who knows? Oh. <laughs> Back in the search party, Barbara has realized that the walls of the cave aren't rock, but ice. Cool. Vassar keeps urging them to turn back on account of the demons, but of course they don't. And the search party ends up finding the rope bridge, and we cut back to Susan and Sabitha entering a room, you know, kind of like a little ways down the corridor from the rope bridge. And in this room, they see what appears to be four suits of armor. Cool. Each one with, like, a cool sword. Is it and all the same sword, or did each have a different type of sword? I think they had different swords, actually. I'd have to check again to be sure, but I think they were different. Cool. And the four of them are just standing stock still. The girls look at these suits of armor for just a moment, and then they just, like, turn around and run out of the room. (laughs) Okay, no, this is either a puzzle room or a challenge room, but either way, (laughs) uh, we need our whole party for this. Uh Uh-huh. So they run back to the rope bridge area where the rescuers are, and at this point, Barbara and Altos have both crossed the bridge, So they are both on the same side as Susan and Sabitha, but neither Vassar nor Ian has crossed yet. They're both still back on the other side. Hmm, That's a very specific description of where everyone is located there, Kyle. (laughs) I wonder how that's going to come up. Yeah, the the GM at this point, like, 
pulled out the map. He's like, no, guys, I know that a lot of the time we play fast and loose, but like for this one set piece, positioning and location is really important. <laughs> it's like whenever the GM's like, what's your marching order? Suddenly everyone's like, the wizard's in the middle. <laughs> I'm, I'm up in point. You know, we've got the barbarian covering everyone. we got somebody watching our back. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, a moment ago, it sounded like, no, no, that's where we are. <laughs> <laughs> so before Susan and Sabitha got back to the rope bridge area, Ian was trying to get Vassar to cross the bridge. Although Vassar still wants to turn back because of the demons. Ian's like, it's okay, I'll cross first, and then you just jump, and I'll catch you, and it'll totally work. <laughs> and then, you know, it zooms in on his face, and he's like, I got this blank flashback expression on his face, like, <laughs> oh no, 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 don't let it happen again. The soundtrack starts going, <laughs> I can't lose another one. <laughs> but of course, as soon as... Susan and Sabitha arrive on the scene. Ian rushes across the bridge himself because he wants to be like part of this reunion. This is obviously a bad idea. And Altos notices as soon as it's too late to do anything about it, (laughs) that Vassar has now untied his side of the rope bridge and taken it down. So, you know, Vassar's like holding the rope bridge and Ian shouts, Vassar, wait! And Vassar gets the bad one-liner award when he responds, No, you wait! Wait there forever! There's no other way out! (laughs) And he leaves. This guy's getting no kudos from me. Yeah. Nope, sorry, not even for his (laughs) one-liners. So, they decide to start searching the tunnel areas for, not only for the key microcircuit, but also for some planks or boards or something that they can lay across the chasm in a makeshift bridge, because they've decided it's too far to jump. Yeah, like I was saying, maybe Ian learned his lesson. (laughs) They end up back in the suits of armor room, and Ian speculates that these might be the demons that Vassar mentioned. And the GM's like, yeah, remember that puzzle I laid out for you? (laughs) (laughs) Sabitha... Now you you can't go back, so now uh, there's four (laughs) suits of armor. One of them... Always tells the truth. Another <laughs> one is resistant to fire. And the third one speaks backwards. And the fourth one is really one of the other three. <laughs> so, so, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> and the fourth one is a space vampire. Oh, man. Oh, I missed the opportunity for a space vampire. Sabitha actually sees the key microcircuit now. She notices that it is in the middle of a large, solid block of ice that's cool. like sitting in this room. Cool. That's, uh, you know, it fits the theme. Uh huh. 
So everybody rolls investigation. Turns out they all actually roll well this time for once. And they discover a pipe that's running underneath the ice over to a valve. Cool. So Barbara turns the valve and Ian feels the pipe start getting warmer and warmer. And they can see that the block of ice that the key microcircuit is in is going to start to melt. Nice. It's a pretty simple puzzle, but I dig it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it seems like basically all they had to do to solve it was just roll well on an investigation check. Makes me think of those video games like the uh, the Batman Arkham games where you can go into Batman vision or investigation oh, vision yeah, and yeah. you can see like, okay, there's a very obvious pipe, like it's orange going <laughs> under the ground and like, oh, I can see over there, there's a valve. Oh, yep, okay. There's the valve. <laughs> I wonder what to do next. <laughs> so while the ice block melts, they figure they've got some time to figure out what to do about this rope bridge in the chasm. So we cut to Ian and Altos who are tying two logs together and then they they slide these two logs that they've tied together across the chasm along a third log that they've already laid down and you know they plan to pile a few more up and hope that they'll all like freeze together basically Hmm. back in the key chamber so does this plan seem feasible at all um, to to us, the audience or is their bridge making technology not up to snuff um I mean I think if I were the DM and they were going to cross this makeshift bridge as it currently is I would definitely like have them roll athletics for it that seems fair but but it, w- it would not be an impossible role. Okay. And I think, it, you know, at this point, like, theoretically, they're still building the bridge. These are, like, just the first few logs, and they're going to try to find some more. Okay. Back in the key chamber, it seems that the ice has now fully melted, so Sabitha grabs the key... And it also seems that these four knights have kind of slumped over. They were, like, standing up straight earlier, but now they're kind of slumped over. <laughs> like, man, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's hard being a possibly an enchanted suit of armor or a demon or whatever they are. Susan's, like, investigating one of their weapons... Just kind of like get you know getting a close look at it. They are pretty cool weapons. Man, people are always just like interested in me for my weapons. No one <laughs> ever like investigates my heart. <laughs> this poor suit of armor is is so depressed at his state of being <laughs> that it actually starts raising its weapon. It's moving pretty slowly, but, like, it's clearly raising its weapon. And Susan shouts, He's alive! And they all rush out of the key chamber, and the four ice knights slowly follow. 
as they rush like through the passageway that leads from the key chamber back to the rope bridge area, there was this little kind of ice archway that they had crossed under that Ian had previously noticed was basically like held up by a rock. So after they all cross under it, Ian knocks the rock out and collapses the archway. He, he, noticed, he noticed that the rock was like, you know, a slightly different shade than uh-huh. the, the background. So it's like, oh, this is interactable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Ian like goes and presses F on the rock a bunch of times <laughs> until the, the ice archway collapses just in time to block the Ice Knights progression. Yeah, when you said Ice Knights before, I was trying to turn that into something like Ice Knights. Knights. I, I, <laughs> as you can tell, I didn't come up with anything good for that. Yeah, a nice... <laughs> <laughs> so back at the rope bridge area, Susan actually has managed to get the dangling end of the rope bridge and has started, like, crawling across the logs that Ian and Altos had placed. It's definitely pretty precarious, and she rolls her athletics check and just barely rolls good enough to make it across. Nice. But, you know, like, in the process of doing so, one of the, one of the logs falls, basically. Oh, so she rolled threat as well as success. Uh-huh. We're, we're using the Fantasy Flight uh, <laughs> Star Wars RPG system. <laughs> uh, yeah, so she crosses and she refastens the side of the bridge that Vassar had undone. And everyone else starts crossing the bridge. They're still, like, doing the smart, safe thing of one person at a time. Cool, cool. But meanwhile, the Ice Knights have been like resetting the ice archway trap and now it's reset now they can get through and you know the ice knights all finish going going through the passageway and arrive at the rope bridge area just as like Ian who's the last one to cross has is finishing crossing it Oh, nice. So Ian crosses, you know, finishes crossing the bridge, and the first Ice Knight starts crossing the bridge, but Ian manages to untie it and drops the bridge, and that Ice Knight gets goes plummeting to its doom. Nice. Which, as we recall, is the second creature in this serial that Ian has sent plummeting to its doom. Yep, we, we lost a ward that same way. <laughs> and the other three Ice Knights, you know, all kind of like rush out onto the rope bridge area platform, but they're stuck there. There's nothing they can do. Meanwhile, back at Vassar's cabin, Vassar has gotten back to the cabin and he has laid the Sabitha's key necklace and all five of the travel dials, just like laid them all out on the table, and he's like admiring them or whatever. When 
Ian and the rest of the party all burst back into the cabin. And Ian says, We've come to collect our things, Vessel. And Vassar just kind of yells, No, and like runs off. So Ian huh. I was hands... expecting maybe a little bit more out of that confrontation, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Ian hands this the key necklace to Sabitha and he passes out the travel dials to everyone and everyone puts them back on their wrist. But Vassar comes rushing back to the cabin now, shouting about the devils from the mountains. Apparently the three remaining ice knights did manage to figure out how to cross the chasm and the DM's are... like just don't ask me how, don't worry about it. <laughs> They're the NPCs. They've got they've got passageways and secrets you guys don't know. And so yeah, now the three ice knights are coming to the cabin. Ian's like well, I'm afraid you'll have to entertain them alone, Vessel. We have to leave you. Nice. But Vassar grabs Susan to use as a hostage. Because, you know, of course he does. I was really expecting them to just be like, peace, and then, you know, do their dials and then get out of there. Uh-huh. Well, Vassar holding Susan hostage really doesn't last very long because he is killed from behind when one of the ice knights just, like, runs its sword through Vassar's cabin door and through Vassar. Whoa. Yeah, I I, I kind of do wonder if maybe the writer of this episode didn't get the memo that this is a kid's show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. You know, I guess Terry Nation's like, you know, I everyone loved the Daleks. So oh, this is Terry Nation, do of course. what I want. Here. Because the Vord were, uh, were were designed by the same person who did the Daleks. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the whole serial is Terry Nation. Nation. All right. So yeah, Vassar has just died, and as, yeah, as much as much as I think it would have been cool just to be like, peace out. We're not even dealing with this, and just to you know get out of there. Um, I'm I'm also kind of glad Vassar got got. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And the the Ice Knights burst through the cabin door and find nobody. Our heroes having all travel dialed away just in time. Cool. So we cut to a new scene. It is a room that appears to be like a museum. There are various displays in like glass cases on tables and stuff. My cliff dangler sense is tingling. <laughs> and Ian sees an unconscious body on the ground. And he then sees the key microcircuit in one of these like glass museum display cases. So he goes and he tries to open the case but he gets hit on the head from behind and falls over unconscious. Did you not see the unconscious body? <laughs> Ian's attacker, we don't get to see the head or face of. We do see their body, but we don't see their head or face. We don't even get to see their hand because they're wearing gloves. And 
they place their attack weapon in Ian's hand, and then they go and open the glass case themselves, mm. themselves, which triggers an alarm, and they take the key as the alarm sounds, and the screen fades to black, and the title next episode Sentence of Death appears on screen. That's not our favorite sentence. We don't, we don't like that sentence. Yeah. Well, I think we we can tell uh, Ian is being set up as the fall guy here. Yeah, that does seem to be the case. And um, I guess he he saw that the key, you know, was in the museum. But of course, it's not anymore because whoever attacked him took it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. This is theoretically the location that that the doctor is in. So how how good a look did we get at the body that was unconscious when Ian arrived? Not great. So could it be the doctor theoretically? Um. You know, I don't think so. I will say I have not actually watched the next episode yet. Often I will have when we record, but I haven't yet. Okay. So this is, you know, just my pure speculation. I don't think it was the doctor, but I'm not sure if there's any actual reason for me not to think that. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um... Well, yeah, I'll be I'll be very intrigued to see what direction this goes. Um, this was yeah. Um, uh, overall, this episode, I, for obvious reasons, I'm somewhat less enthused about this one than the uh, the past episodes in this serial. Yeah, I mean it's tricky though because like all the cave stuff and the ice night stuff is also cool, but then there's all the shitty stuff in the cabin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was thinking, you know, oh, we should definitely watch this at some point. Like, you know, I, I do, I, I know sort of our gimmick is that uh, you watch Doctor Who and you, then you tell me about it, but I do actually want to watch a, a bunch of these <laughs> at some point. Um, and up to this point, I had been thinking that this serial would be a good one to watch, but now I'm like, oh, I don't know, maybe this isn't really one that I'm as interested in. Maybe we could just skip this episode when we do this serial also. Yeah. Um, I do kind of want to watch the Dalek one because, you know, Daleks. And then I was thinking, oh, we could just do all the Terry Nation ones because this one was also really entertaining. Um, and now we got the shitty stuff, so we'll have to think about that. Well, I guess we're at only one more key microsecret remaining. Yes. It's, it's almost within our grasp. All we have to do is not be sen- sentenced to death. How yeah, usually, you know, maybe just like a fine or something. <laughs> <laughs> Community service, you know. Mm-hmm. What if I just write a really nice apology letter? 
All right, listeners. Well, uh, well, we'll see you in two weeks, where we'll all possibly be sentenced to death in a sentence of death, or maybe the sentence. I don't even remember what exactly what it was. <laughs> I think it was actually n- no article at all, just sentence of death. Ah, so I was notes. doubly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Hi, Benny here. The Doctor's Watcher would like to thank Circuit23 for the awesome theme song he created for us. You can find his music, including our theme, at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23, that's circuit.23, at gmail.com. Thanks to Kyle for talking to me about Doctor Who, and thanks to all of you for listening to me listening to Kyle talk about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or on Twitter at drwatcher. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. Join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher. You've already done so much for us, I can't ask you to risk coming with me. But will you lend me warm clothing? Lend you? <laughs> my furs are my living. I'm a poor man. Wouldn't stand much chance of getting them back if you fell down a crevasse. Look, I can't pay you for them. I haven't got any money. That thing on your wrist looks valuable. Yes, all right. <laughs>